In Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, God declares this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. This morning I want to ask you this question. If God's word always accomplishes God's purpose, then why doesn't everyone who hears it respond to it? Many people hear the word and reject it. Others believe it at first, but sooner or later they turn away from it. Some remain unchanged by it. And then some hear the word and believe it and faithfully follow Christ the rest of their lives. Why is this? Why does the same word of God bring about these different responses? To make it more personal, why have you believed the word while your sibling has not? Why have you continued to follow Christ when your childhood friend has not? Why have you responded to God's word and your neighbor has not. The way we answer these questions is directly related to what we believe about God and about ourselves and about salvation. You can open your Bibles to Matthew 13. Matthew 13, we're continuing our series through Matthew called Following the Fulfillment. We, we read uh, this morning's passage earlier. Thank you, James, for reading that. We are so glad you guys are with us today. We're praying for your family. Here in Matthew 13, we open a new section of Matthew that is devoted to the parables of Jesus. And we've already read the passage, but we're going to, to read as we go today uh, as well. And so just if you would look with me at Matthew 13, look at how Matthew begins this chapter on the parables by setting up the scene for us. Verses 1 and 2, just math, Matthew's giving us a picture here. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. So it's really an amazing scene to imagine. Throngs of people are coming to Jesus. At this point, they have witnessed many of his miracles. They have listened in on his teaching. They have heard his responses to the Pharisees, and now they are coming to him. You know, the last few chapters of Matthew showed us rising hostility toward Jesus, and, and just in isolation maybe gives us a picture that, that not many people are, are listening to him now, but, but here we see that at the same time of this rising hostility, there was a surging popularity as well. I imagine Jesus was, was on the beach, on the shore, and he's, he's literally being backed up to the shoreline as the people are coming to him and filling the beach where he is, and so what does he do? He gets in a boat, and he sits down, and he opens his mouth to speak. You just picture Jesus in the boat, all these people on the shore, and he sits down, he opens his mouth to speak, and you can imagine their anticipation. They've come to hear Jesus. What is he going to say? And verse 3 tells us he told them many things in parables. That day, what the crowds got were parables. His parables are one of the most famous aspects of his ministry. 
We all probably can think of a parable or two off the top of our head that Jesus told. But let's define it. What exactly is a parable? The, the classic definition, you may have heard this, is that a parable is an earthly story about a heavenly reality. An earthly story about a heavenly reality. And that's a good place to, to start. The parables deal with the earthly, with the familiar uh, aspects and themes and symbols from everyday life. Jesus, Jesus would just borrow uh, familiar themes that people would, would interact with every day to, to uh, tell these stories. Many of them were stories, though, though some of them we'll find were, were just comparisons or just a picture. So they weren't just stories. They were, they were different ways of illustrating things. And, and these earthly pictures, they did teach heavenly realities, but not just any kind of heavenly reality. They, they taught Kingdom mysteries, they were specifically about the kingdom of God. Most parables begin with, the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom, remember, is the redemptive reign of God that's coming to mend the sin-broken world. That's what the kingdom of God is. It's it's God's redemptive reign coming to this sin-broken world, this fallen world, and, and, and making everything right and new again through his king, Jesus Christ. And this is what the parables were about, is, is how this kingdom comes to our world. How, the mysteries of, of what that looks like. And so here's a definition that's a little more to the point for what we see the parables are in Jesus' teaching. Parables are illustrations that use familiar things from this world to teach mysterious truths about God's kingdom. They're illustrations that use familiar things from this world to teach mysterious truths about God's kingdom. That's what we have in Matthew 13. That's what we're looking at for the next few weeks. And today we're going to look at the first parable that Jesus told, the parable of the sower. Now let's read it one more time, verses 3 through 9. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears... Let him hear. This story is one of several parables that Jesus gave to the crowds that day. It's the first one he gave. But here's the very interesting thing, church, is that Jesus didn't tell the crowds what it means. You know, stories can be powerful tools for teaching. But even Aesop's fables always come at the end with the famous moral of the story, right? Uh, if, if you're trying to teach through a story, then at some point you want, to, you want to help people understand what the story is about. If someone tells a story and doesn't explain it, what do you do with that? I mean, you, you, you try to figure it out on your own, right? You, you debate, you come up with your own interpretations. It, it, so, so this all begs the question, why did Jesus, when the crowds came to him, tell these parables, these stories, give these pictures, and not explain to the crowds what they meant. And this just happens to be the exact same question the disciples had of Jesus. You see it in verse 10. And so at this point, what we're going to do this morning, church, is, is gonna see, we're going to see two things. We're going to see the purpose of the parables and the meaning of the parable. 
All right, so the purpose of the parables, plural, and then the meaning of this parable that we're looking at today. And as we do that, we're going to be able to answer the question I, I began the sermon with. Why are there different responses to the word of God? So that's our plan now. So first, let's look at the purpose of the parables. And look at verse 10. The disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? So, so, so they're wondering, why, why are you dealing in obscurities? Why are you telling stories? Why are you giving pictures instead of, instead of just speaking plainly to the crowds? And here's what Jesus' answer is. He answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So, Jesus answers their question by explaining to them that there are two types of people in this world. Two types of people. Those who have been granted knowledge by God and those who have not. You see that in verse 11. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. To them it has not been given. Those who have been granted knowledge, those who have not. Those who have understanding and those who do not. The one who has, more will be given. He will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Those who have eyes and ears that are open and those who have eyes and ears that are shut. Two types of people. And Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables. Why? Because God had not granted the crowds to know the mysteries of the kingdom. The reason he told parables was not to clarify truth, but to conceal it. See, that's not how we normally think of stories, like sermon illustrations. They're meant to make the truth clear. That's not what Jesus says. He says, I'm speaking in parables because they've not been granted to know. I'm speaking in parables because what the one who has not, what he has will be taken away. I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. It's to conceal truth. What are we to make of this? Is Jesus concealing the truth from people who genuinely are seeking it? Not at all. Look again at verse 13. They are seeing but not seeing. They are hearing but not hearing. Why? Surprisingly, Jesus says in verse 14, indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. They were fulfilling scripture. We need, we need to think about Isaiah for a minute as we are about to go into this, this quote from Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6 begins with the prophet Isaiah receiving a vision of God seated on his throne in heaven. The train of his robe filling the temple. God before him in all his majesty and glory his holiness on full display, angels crying out before him, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah sees all this and, and he realizes in the presence of God's holiness that he is a sinner and he says, woe is me. Woe is me before this holy God. And then God uh, touches his lips with a coal from the altar in heaven and says, your sin is atoned for. And at the conclusion of this incredible vision, Isaiah hears the Lord say, Who will I send? Who will go for us? 
And Isaiah is standing there, thinking of all that he just experienced. And he says, here I am. Here I am, Lord. Send me. I'll go. So this is his, this is called to his prophetic ministry. And at this point, we, we can't know what Isaiah expected, but I imagine that he was anticipating that God was going to use him in a mighty way to turn his people back to him. But in fact, God says just the opposite to Isaiah. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their eyes and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. You're going to go for me, you're going to speak for me, and no one's going to listen. In fact, the word is going to harden them. God's word would not have a softening effect on Israel, but a hardening effect. It's not that his word would fail to accomplish his purpose. It's that his purpose was to harden the people's understanding. This is hard, church. In Isaiah, this was God's judgment on the people for their prior rejection of him. See, they were already hardening their hearts against the Lord. They were already closing their eyes. And so God, in righteous judgment, in time, says, Isaiah, you will speak for me and your word will harden their hearts even more. And now Jesus sees in people's response to his ministry the same thing happening. Remember, we've already seen in Matthew that the people have heard Jesus' message and they've seen Jesus' miracles, but they have not repented of their sins. The crowds are, are following Jesus. They're coming to him, but they're not turning from their sins. Jesus is a miracle worker. Jesus is popular, but, but they're not actually listening. The people have already hardened their hearts against the word of God. The people have already closed their ears. They have already shut their eyes. They're here on the beach to listen to him, but they're not listening. And as a righteous judgment against them for this hardened disposition, God now conceals any further truth from them, and he does this through the parables. Rather than speaking plainly to them, Jesus conceals the truth through teaching in parables. Now, if the parables were a way to conceal truth from the crowds, then was there any positive purpose to them at all? Absolutely. Absolutely. Just as parables concealed truth from hardened hearts, so they also revealed truth to humble hearts. Jesus tells the disciples in verses 11 and 12, again, two kinds of people. He says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. He says, for to the one who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. Jesus tells the disciples that God has granted knowledge of the kingdom to them. See, the disciples have been humbly receiving the words of Christ. And now through the parables, he says, you will have an abundance. That, that, that's amazing, church. But through, through the parables, we will have an abundance of truth from Jesus. And then again in verses 16 and 17, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. 
For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, did not see it, to hear what you hear, did not hear. Jesus tells the disciples that they have been immeasurably blessed by God with the ability to see and hear and understand God's word. Though the parables would remain mysteries to the crowds, the parables revealed mysteries to the disciples. This is the dual function of the parables. It conceals to the hardened. It reveals to the humble. What did this look like for the disciples? So, so as Jesus tells the parable, were they able to grasp the significance of the parables immediately when Jesus taught them? Was the parable a complete mystery to the crowds, but completely understandable to the disciples? No, it's, it's interesting. It wasn't that the disciples had an immediate and full understanding the moment the parable left Jesus' lips. We see that by the questions they ask. The difference was in the fact that they asked. They pressed in. They wanted to know more. They asked questions. They sought the truth. And this is the function of the parables. This is how this concealing and revealing works. To the hardened heart, they hear the parable, and they think that's interesting, but they don't really care enough to press in. They don't want to know more. They're fine just hearing the story and walking away. But to the humble heart and to the hungry heart, to the heart that God has blessed, they hear the parable and they say, tell us what it means. Jesus, we want to know what you're, what you're saying. Teach us, Lord. Teach us more. That's, that's the disposition of the disciples. The, the parables draw a dividing line between those who will not seek the kingdom and those who will. The parables are a dividing line between those who, who don't really want to know and those who do. The parables are a call to say, how much do you want to know? Will you press in? And so as we begin Matthew 13, that's what we want to do. We want to press in so that we can have an abundance of truth. We want to know what these parables mean. And Jesus tells us. This leads to the second thing we need to see this morning, the meaning of this parable in verses 18 through 23. Let's read 18 through 23 again. Here then, the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So this is how the disciples come to understand the meaning of the parable. Not, not, not through this... Uh, just mysterious supernatural zap of knowledge into their brains, but through, through listening to Jesus explain it to them. And, and, and that's what we get to do. That we, get, we get to hear Jesus tell us, here's what the parable means. He teaches it to them. And in this parable, he identifies the different elements of the parable. So, so, so let's just think about what he said. The, the, the seed in the parable, the sower is sowing seed all over the place. What is the seed in the parable? The seed stands for the word of the kingdom. The seed is the word of the kingdom. It's the declaration of the kingdom of God. It is, it is the call. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. 
It's the word of the kingdom that has come in Jesus Christ and the call to repent and trust in him. This is the word that's being sown. This is the seed that's being sown. And it's being sown in four different soils. Three of them are unfruitful and one is fruitful. The first, the, the, and just the soils in general, what do the soils stand for? The soil stands for the heart of the hearer. The soil represents each person's heart, and, and each one of us has, has a heart that is either going to receive and, and respond to the word or will not. So the first soil is represented by the hardened path. And Jesus says that this stands for someone who hears the message, who hears the word, but they don't understand it. This is like a seed that just hits the path and bounces off the ground, right? It, it, it's, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't take. And in this case, Jesus talks about the birds coming and eating the seeds on the path. He says, in the same way that when someone hears the gospel, doesn't understand it, Satan actively opposes that person and comes and snatches away the word so that it doesn't even rain. I mean, we, we pray often for people that we hear the gospel with, and we, we pray, we pray, Lord, help them later. Just, just bring it back to their minds, right? Help them reflect on what they heard. But, but see, Satan doesn't want that to happen. He, he comes and he snatches it away. He opposes the work. No, no chance of that seed breaking through. This is the one who doesn't understand the gospel as it's said, spoken to them. The second soil is represented by the rocky ground. And it stands for someone who appears to receive the word of the kingdom. This is someone who, who hears it, and they say, I want that. And they receive it with joy. They're excited. They, they, they may even be growing at first. But then, things get difficult. Suffering comes. Tribulation comes. Persecution comes. It says this, this person, just like when the sun scorches down on a plant that has no root, this person that appeared to believe, even with joy, they, they fall away. As the heat becomes more intense, they fall away from their faith when persecution arises. The third soil is a soil that is mixed with other plants, thorns that rise up with it. And these thorns come around the plant as it grows and they choke it out so that this plant does not bear fruit. And Jesus says that this is like someone who has great care for this world, great love for this world, great love for riches in this world. This reminds me of 1 John, when John says we cannot love God and love the world, right? This is someone who, who still has idols in their hearts, that, and, and they love the world more than they love the word. And their love for the world chokes out their faith. And so you, you might see a plant, but it's completely unfruitful. There's, there's no fruit. This is, an, this is an unchanged person. They might say they believe, but there's no fruit in their life because their love for the world is choking it out. And then finally, the fourth soil, the good soil, stands for someone who hears the word, they receive it, and they respond to it. 
Just as the seed planted in good soil bears good fruit, so when the word is planted in a humble heart, it grows and it shows itself in a lifestyle of obedience to Jesus Christ, a lifestyle of doing the will of the Father. This is the seed planted in the good soil. That's what the parable means. That's what Jesus is, is talking about to them. Now, what we need to do at this point is understand how all of this fits together. You know, when you're preaching, you're always looking for the structure of a passage. And this, this, this passage has a somewhat frustrating structure to me because, because what you want is the parable of the sower, the interpretation of the parable of the sower. Like, you just, you just want to go from one to the other, but you have this whole section in the middle where Jesus is describing the purpose of the parables in general, and then it goes back around. Let's talk about the sower again. And, and, and so it's a little frustrating when you're looking at it, but you realize Ma- Matthew did this on purpose. Matthew presents the material this way because he's communicating truth to us. This is Matthew's way of saying to us that we need to interpret this particular parable in light of all the parables. One one author says that this is a parable about parables. Try to wrap your mind around that, right? Here's how it fits together. The parable of the sower shows us what happens. It shows us the reality of how different people respond to the word of God differently. It explains the truth to us that some don't understand it. Some don't persevere in it. Some aren't changed by it. And some actually receive it and bear fruit. This is what happens when the word of God goes forth. The explanation about the purpose takes us a level deeper. The purpose of the parables shows us why this is what happens. Why are there different responses to the word? And the reason is that God has chosen to conceal truth from hardened hearts and to reveal truth to humble hearts. Just think about the soils again. The first three soils are all in their natural state. And left in their natural state, they have no ability to receive the seed and bear fruit. The fourth soil is different, though. It's it's good soil. But we need to ask, what's made this soil good? Why is this soil good? And the answer is that this soil, unlike the others, has been cultivated. It's been tilled. It's been tended to. It's been looked after. It's good soil because God has made it good. Let's go back to the original question this morning. Why are there different responses to the word of God? The answer is this, because God's word accomplishes God's purposes in both judgment and grace. The same sun melts the ice and hardens the clay, right? This, this is the word of God accomplishing its purpose, hardening in righteous judgment, melting in sheer grace. God hardens sinners who have already rejected him as a righteous judgment for that rejection, but in his grace, God cultivates the hearts of those that he has chosen for himself. And here's what we need to understand, church. This is so important. Listen, none of us have good soil in our hearts left to ourselves. None of us have the right kind of soil for the word of God to come and bear fruit in our lives left to ourselves Romans says, no one understands, no one seeks for God. Every one of us is naturally, dispositionally hardened against God. And God could just leave us that way. Our hearts are all by nature bad soil for the word, and the gospel would never be fruitful in us if we were left alone. 
It would be perfectly righteous of God to leave us as we are, and we would never turn of those he's chosen, so that when the word of God is sown, it takes, and it bears much fruit for his glory. So, so, so here's what we need to understand. When we see the word of God rejected, or when we see the word of God um, received and then, and then abandoned, when we see the word of God leave someone unchanged, we can know that this is what we all would do by nature. We can know that would be me if not for God's grace. But whenever we see the word of God is bearing fruit in someone's life, whenever we see that, we can know that God has first cultivated that person's heart. We can know that God did that. If you see fruit in your own life, you can know God did that. So someone else is like, God is doing that. Salvation is God's work. He is the one that tills the heart. Where there is fruit, it means that God was at work by his grace. And this is what Jesus explained to us. And I want to give a few implications for us this morning from this passage. This informs three areas of of our discipleship. First, it informs our praise of God. This passage informs our praise of God. Listen, if the reason that we've responded to the word lies with us, then we can thank God for making salvation available, and then we can pat ourselves on the back for being understanding enough and wise enough to accept his offer. You see that? Thank you, God, for, for making a way And good job me for taking the offer. But if we realize that our reception of that offer of salvation lies with God, with the fact that he granted understanding to us, that he's blessed us, that he's cultivated our hearts, then we will give all the glory to him. Left to ourselves, the word never would have taken root in our lives, but God did not leave us to ourselves If you are trusting in Christ today, then praise God for tilling the hard and stony ground of your heart by his grace. Praise him today. Second, this informs our perseverance in faith. The parable of the sower clearly teaches that there are some who appear at first to believe the word, but they don't finally bear fruit because of persecution from the world or love for the world. And listen, it's impossible to read this parable and not see a little bit of yourself in those descriptions, right? I mean, we we, we know that there's parts of us that, that look like that and struggle with those things. How do we know we won't fall away when persecution arises? How do we know that our love for this world won't one day choke out our faith in God? And the answer lies in remembering that our hearts must continually be cultivated by God. It's not so much that you need to answer, was I saved at some point back then? The answer is, are you bringing your heart continually before the only one who can keep it soft? Are you bringing your heart continually before the Lord so that he can can weed out those thorns? And he he can tend to you and work you. If you leave a garden just uncared for, what's going to happen to it? It, it, It's going to be filled with weeds. It's not going to thrive. We we need God's continual, constant cultivation of our hearts. And so this parable calls us to a persevering faith 
That is only possible if we continually place ourselves under God's cultivating care. We must come to him and say, just as we sang earlier, break the hard and stony ground. Help my unbelief. That's the prayer of a Christian our, our entire lives. Break the hard and stony ground. Dig up the thorns that are growing. Keep my heart soft. Keep my heart pure. Keep my heart tender. Continue, Lord, to cultivate my heart. We bring our hearts to him, and we place ourselves under his tilling work that he does through his spirit and his word. This is persevering faith. Finally, this informs our practice of evangelism. It informs our practice of evangelism. It's somewhat surprising that Jesus doesn't identify the sower in the parable. But this is probably because the sower represents more than just one person. First and foremost, represents Christ. He's, he is the one sowing in his ministry. He's sowing the word. And these responses are happening to him, right? But Christ has also called his disciples, and he calls us to continue sowing the word as his ambassadors here on earth. We are the sower. And the parable teaches us important lessons for our sowing. We must sow indiscriminately. We must sow indiscriminately. You know, it seems extremely odd, doesn't it, that the sower in the parable is just throwing seeds all over the place in places where it seems so obvious it won't bear fruit. Wouldn't it make more sense to just sow all the seed on the good soil? It would. But here's the thing. The, the soil represents the heart, and that's something that we cannot see. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So there's no way for us to ever know how someone will respond to the gospel if we don't sow the seed of the gospel in that person's heart. We cannot know if we don't sow it. So we must never withhold the gospel from someone that God gives us the opportunity to share it with. We must be indiscriminate sowers of the word. Second, we must sow sober-mindedly. Sober-mindedly. We must not be overly discouraged when someone doesn't understand the word. We must not be surprised when those who appeared to accept the word fall away when things get difficult. We must not think God's word has failed if someone's love for this world chokes out the fruit of faith in their life. Jesus himself experienced all of these responses, and so will we. These are the natural responses of fallen human hearts, and they are God's righteous judgments on those who've already rejected him. So we must be sober-minded as we sow. We must realize these things are going to happen. It's not because God's word is failing. But with that said, we must also sow expectantly. As we sow the gospel everywhere, we expect that the seed will find good soil. And church, I, I want us to hear this and embrace this and prayerfully move forward in this, that we must sow expectantly and the seed of the gospel will find good soil. We expect that God is at work in hidden ways, tilling the hard-hearted, cultivating fertile ground. We pray for that work and we believe that work is happening in others just as it happened in us and therefore we keep on sowing the word. We expect because we know that God is gracious that more and more people will receive the word of the kingdom. And so we keep on sowing and we patiently wait to see what he does. What is this word of the kingdom, church, that we are sowing? It's the good news that there is salvation for hell-deserving sinners through faith in Jesus Christ. 
And, and to close today's message, I want to show you something back in Isaiah 6. Do turn back there with me, back to Isaiah 6. Like I said, this is hard. It's hard to think that God's word, one of his purposes is to harden, right? But it was hard for Isaiah too. When, when God tells this to Isaiah that, that they will not understand that the word you speak is going to harden them, Isaiah says in verse 11, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? How long will you harden your people? How long will you remain in judgment against them? How long until there is salvation? And here's what the Lord said. Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. So here's what he's saying. God's word would harden Israel in their rejection of him until only a stump remained. But what is that stump? The holy seed is its stump. A few chapters later, we read this in Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. See, the holy seed is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the King, the Savior of the world. God's word would harden and Israel would reject and they would be punished until this stump remained and Jesus Christ appears. And when he appeared, you know what? The hardening continued. It continued until the people actually rejected the Messiah himself and delivered him to be crucified. And yet, there, the word of God has not failed as the people reject their Messiah with hard hearts against him and give him up to crucifixion, what is God doing? The word of God is bringing about the plan of God to atone for the sins of the whole world through his son, Jesus Christ. By being rejected by his people who had hardened their hearts, Jesus Christ opens the way for the acceptance of all people before him. And now he's risen from the dead and now we proclaim the word of the kingdom to all people, all nations, all places. This is the plan of God working through his word, through history. God's word does not, does not fail. It didn't fail when the people rejected Jesus. That rejection serves to bring about the acceptance of all people through him. And it does not fail now as we proclaim the gospel. It never fails what God has for it. And so church, let's preach the word. Let's preach the gospel and trust that God will accomplish his purpose and one day we will see that he will have brought salvation to every nation, every people, every tribe. And we'll worship him together forever. Let's pray.